Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with composer Paul Sanderson and it's a wonderful chat. Um, I'm sure so many of you would have seen Paul's recent work. Um, he's scored um, the, 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 the music for Earth, the, the, the big BBC One uh, television show hosted by Chris Packham. It's a glorious thing to, to, to watch visually and um, and Paul's work with 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 the audio, um, it's scored beautifully. So so please go and, and and check that out at the end of this episode. Um, but before we get on with my chat with Paul, um, I just want to say thank you to um everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network, which is headed up by uh, my friend and and podcast super star Mr. Scroobius Pip. Um, I'd also like to thank the team at Blue Murder Club. Uh, it's a, a true crime podcast. The team over there produce this episode so thank you uh to them um when you get to the end of uh today's episode um why not explore the back catalogue because i imagine uh some of you have just headed over today that are fans of paul that may never have heard a, a, an episode of this podcast before and and there's over 500 so you can go and get stuck straight in so i urge you all to at the end of this episode go and explore that back catalogue and even for the casual listener or the long-time listener, um, I'm sure there's episodes out there that you've missed. Uh, if you haven't um, and you're thirsty for even more content, why not access a vault of hundreds and hundreds of episodes and radio shows and playlists and and video episodes? You can watch all, all the video episodes. And, and I'm talking about my Patreon, um, which is a way that you can support um, this podcast and, and, and all of the things that happen in and around it and it's going to cost you about 70p a month we're experiencing a cost of life uh, cost of life cost of living crisis in in the uk at the moment and uh and so i know that um through you know myself and the people that i surround myself with you know everybody's having to be a little bit more careful with their pennies um so i've tried to keep this super reasonable you look at most people's patreons and they're five ten twenty quid a month and and i've kept mine at 70p which i think work it's, it's a dollar that's what i'm saying i guess um and so for that you get all of that stuff that i mentioned a huge vault of stuff but most importantly um there's two things i want to tell you about the first thing is most importantly it supports this podcast and it supports me constantly putting out these these episodes for free so you know any support you can give um it really will be appreciated 
Um, and secondly, also, that 70p doesn't just give you access to all the video episodes, all the back catalogue, all the radio shows. It also gives you a free ticket to the monthly live show on Zoom where you get an opportunity to, to talk on the podcast and be part of the podcast and, and be part of this lovely circle of people that have, uh, have become Patreons. And we do this little hangout once a month and we pick a little topic and we have a lovely chat for an hour. And and it's one of my favourite things uh, each month. And so I'd love more of you to come and experience that. Um, you don't have to have your camera on. It's on, on Zoom. You can have your camera off and you can just, you know, listen in. Or you can be really involved if you want to. It's it's, it's up to you. Um, but it's a lovely little thing. I mean, there's a couple of episodes that I've released on here. So go go and have a listen. And, uh, and yeah, I'd love you to support the podcast and, 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 and come and... Be even more, you know, more of a part of it, and, uh, and come and get your your dulcet tones on an episode. Anyway, you can find out about that at Patreon, p a t r e o n dot com forward slash off the beat and track, um, or just head to the website or any of the social media platforms, and there's links to everything over there. Uh, and the website is off the beat and track podcast dot com. It's beat and not beaten. Off the beat and track podcast dot com. Anyway, I know why you're here, and it's not to hear me pitching me Patreons. Um, please enjoy today's episode of Off the Beaten Track podcast with the delightful Paul Sanderson. It's Off the Beaten Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. You've made stew with him. Okay, we are recording. Paul, how are you today? I'm great. Yeah, really good. Thank you. Thank oh, you. wonderful. Well, um, just before I've pressed record, you've showed me around um, your, your your home studio, which is an amazing space. Um, and before we get on to your, your your song list, was did you have that space there during the lockdown? Yes. Yeah, so it, it sort of, uh, you know, it was one of those things where uh, built it, I think, like a a year and a bit before all that happened and you know when we all got shut down it was like what like i i had so many friends who uh were renting spaces in town and obviously i was being told don't go anywhere uh, and then i you know i was just traveling basically to the bottom of my garden to my home studio and so i could continue as normal in a way uh, so it was such a blessing to have this this space um you know like how was i to know that that was going to happen and yeah. uh you know and um it's yeah it, it's amazing how now since the pandemic how like the sort of people in the business of making these garden buildings or garden studios suddenly just went up and yeah. it was like yep yeah, that's a great idea to have and yeah, it was on. Honestly, it was. Uh, it was so. It really came into its, you know, into its element there. Um, Absolutely, I was really lucky. Absolutely, and I, I, the reason I ask is because I've, I've got something, um, more of a kind of sort of podcast studio, really sort of set up at, at at the end of my garden, and I'm not in it at the moment actually. But um, but over lockdown, it enabled me to, and also because over lockdown, all of a sudden everything moved to this thing called Zoom that we'd never heard of before, that that we're yeah. sitting on now, that I totally wish I would have took shares out in about four years ago. Um, but I, It I, is quite amazing that like, yeah, I, I mean, it was being used, but in a very business sense, hmm. I understand, and uh, you know, it's kind of uh, this whole method of working, it's sort of 
it, I think it's allowed, definitely I've seen it anyway in, in the area that I work in, this, there's now no problem working across like the continent, across the pond remotely and people like in turn, while it being really useful, those who, who are, I don't know, who are kind of sort of um, either working in an office or working in production, their schedules get so tightly packed that then once before they come to your place and they're like, oh, I, we haven't got time. Like, can we just jump on Zoom? And it's there's suddenly this, uh, like, we don't need to do Zoom anymore because we can be there in person. Yeah. And even spotting sessions, always being asked, oh, so, do, you know, do you want to be here in person? Like, yeah. Like, we don't, yeah, please. Like, I don't, we don't need to separate. And, uh, but it, it has, it's one of those things where it's, it's probably made people even more busy because now we, no one has to go anywhere. So we yeah. just grab, cram pack our days. Uh, but then it has made other things much easier and facilitate, you know, uh, a kind of workflow. Completely. I mean, this very conversation, you know, this is, you know, we had to reschedule this one and, and this that's just for me and you to to press open on a on our laptop whereas <laughs> yeah. you know pre-pandemic it would have been lots of back and forth right okay do i come to your studio do you want to come to my studio how are we going to do this can you know and then theoretically we're going to lose half a day of travel and to to, to yeah. capture this conversation so there's, there's today pro- affair it's like a- <laughs> yeah, it, there's, yeah there's pros and cons to it and uh and don't get me wrong i do miss the feeling of being in a room with someone because I do think that, you know, without sounding like a, you know, a crazy hippie there, you, you do get something extra from that. You know, you, you do totally, feel, yeah. you know, that the ambience of the room, whatever it is like body language. And, but I think that we've, when I, the first time I ever recorded one of these over zoom in early on in the, in, in, in the lockdown, I was like, well, this is never going to work. You know, this is, <laughs> yeah. this is, we're all going to be speaking over each other and it's just not going to work. And, it's amazing as humans how we adapt to, to to what we're allowed to do and what we can do. And within literally, you know, two episodes, I was like, whoa, hang on a minute. I can now keep myself sane during lockdown because one of the sad things for the industry and, and I work in the nighttime industry and uh, and that was a, a standstill, you know, acting wasn't happening, music like gigs stopped, you know. Um, and so it was like, well, all of these people, actors, like they're not working, so they've still got things to say. So it just meant, right, okay, well, I'm going to use this Zoom thing, and I'm going to get to speak to people yeah, totally. I was never going to get to speak to. Oh, hang on a minute, I can do it with people that live in other countries. This is amazing, and it just yeah. opened up something completely different. Well, that's the facilitator of it. Like I was asking my so my cousin is a songwriter, and you know he does a lot of writing sessions, songwriting sessions over Zoom. And I was like, how does that work? Because obviously Zoom, you know, is very cleverly blocks out background noise. Mm. And it, if you're trying to sort of vibe, like I can imagine that being quite difficult. But, you know, he, he sort of said that actually, again, it sort of allows that time to, if they're kind of working up an idea, whoever's like producing the track, wherever they are, everyone can kind of just come off Zoom. That can, people then kind of, for half an hour, continue and then come back on again yeah. and not all kind of be in the same room and be like, oh, can you just like, I'm trying to write some lyrics here. Can you just pause the track for a minute? Yeah. It's distracting, you know, and it's sort of, uh, I, I didn't really think about it that way. Um, so, yeah, but it has been able to connect people far and wide, wherever you are, 
you know, at like a click of a button, as you yeah, were saying, absolutely. you know, so it's, uh, you know, it's, we work it into our new where, you know, bring it into our new way of working. And, uh, yeah, no, it, it is amazing. Okay, Paul, let's start your, your playlist. And I'm going to ask yeah, you track go. one to tell me the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro, please. Um, <laughs> firstly, I just want to say from all of these, my answers, I thought the best way is do first reaction, initial, don't think too much about any of these, go. Uh, and I'm going to say the final countdown by Europe. Okay. Purely because, you know, like, the intro is about a minute and a half long. Like, modern pop records now are about two and a half minutes long. I think even the middle eight's been scrapped. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, you know, when you do an intros round, you hear that, that, you know what it is. Yeah. And it has this whole cinematic synth theme, you know, and that is actually kind of the chorus in a way. Yeah. And it's... uh. Uh, and I, I always had it, um, you know, uh, I was doing a lot of running in my past time just to kind of, you know, stay sane. But uh, it's like if I was running a race, that would be like track one that I put on my playlist <laughs> to be like, right, here we go. Come on. Come on. And it's, you feel like you're sort of in this kind of alternate 80s reality of, of uh, you know, I don't know. It's, it's just one of those uplifting tracks. It's such a power power track yeah um but i just think the intro is uh i don't think we get away with doing a minute and a half intro not not in a million years <laughs> and that was you know that was a, a global number one record you know and yeah and uh i because obviously that the, the playover is the, the key to that track you know and yeah but that doesn't <laughs> am i right in saying that doesn't come right at the very beginning uh what the, the, da, 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 the yeah the main bit. yeah well it, no it starts with it, it's like a tease yeah it starts with just this synth kind of hit that rises Duh, like it's winding up yeah Duh. and why well, it's interesting that you can as soon as you just hear the first one you're like yeah i know what this is yeah and then it comes in just with the, this theme and then then it goes again and the drum kit then come in yeah and then it vamps for a bit it's like the lead singer's like, just yeah, I'm not quite ready yet. Just give yeah. me a bit more time. Give me a bit more time. Yeah, right. Here we go. <laughs> it's, I'm curious when you know, like, uh, when it came out on the radio. If like obviously now, like people do radio edits and stuff. If I, you know, I, I don't obviously ever. I was born in 1987, so I never heard this on the radio um, at the time when it came out. Uh, I'm curious if they just played it from the front or they if did. they just cut. So did they? I, I, I remember buying it on seven inch and uh, and yeah, there, there's no edit of that. It, it, it does start like that. Interestingly, the, my lasting memory of buying that on seven inch um, is the fact that Europe, that obviously, were very much sort of hair metal, um, but they had the worst hair metal haircuts, and <laughs> and I remember I'd sit there looking at the sleeve. Um, and the game I'll play in my head was if I had to have one of these shit haircuts, which one would I have? And I'd literally just be looking at the five members of Europe thinking I'd probably have to go with that one, but it is really bad. But uh, uh, that's my, my lasting memory of the of uh, of my seven inch single of Europe. Which one of their shit haircuts <laughs> would I entertain <laughs> if I had to? 
yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, it was uh, obviously people were vibing with that haircut. You know, it wasn't Europe doing it, and uh, yeah, it's just funny. Like, I just, I think, um, you know, it's like like melodically it's like so strong and even if you're probably out now and somebody just puts that record on you're like what no and then it's just suddenly like get i don't know (laughs) it's weird though isn't it how how like um because the 80s is like the 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 golden era of of synth pop and and the play over and and, and and it's really weird because europe with everything they looked like and you know this this i believe they were german weren't they and uh, this kind of rock band, but essentially, it's just a synth pop record, isn't it? You know that playover yeah, could totally. quite easily yeah. be "Take on Me" or "Just Can't Get Enough." You know, it's just yeah, a, yeah, a, a, yeah, a yeah, synth totally. pop track, um, but just fronted by five yeah, blokes with totally. poodle haircuts. Like, um, yeah, but also his vocal is actually like you know you try singing along to that, it's like a super high tenor yeah. part that he's screaming out. You know, it's. it's it's nothing to be sniffed at. <laughs> yeah, it's an eight. It was a stone cold classic, and uh, and as soon as you hear that synth play over to this day, it's like right, let's start fist pumping. It's got me. Like it's yeah, uh, it's it's, it's it. a cracker. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to ask you for track two, uh, please. But You're I'm going to ask you yeah. to tell me the first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please. Um, so. Uh... I was born in 1987, so we're kind of we're the age where things have started to have an emotional impact on you, probably about nine, ten years old sort of thing. Um, and I'll have to admit, it was Viva Forever by the Spice Girls, <laughs> which is pretty embarrassing. But, um, you know, it's it's kind of funny, actually, because this track, even now, I might be at a house party and this track comes on, it's just like, oh, yeah. Like you, there's a yearning, and it's like, I think it was, you know, um, like about how cheesy it is. It's got this harmony. Uh, I just, I just remember the first time I heard it, I just couldn't get enough of it. I was like, that is lush, and um, you know, and it, uh, what was the emotion? Being of the nineties, the emotion. I mean, it's just sort of longing. For, well, when I hear it, it's that kind of. Uh, yeah longing for something and there's a yearning and uh i wouldn't say it's sad it's just like uh kind of maybe remembering about so when i hear it now which is ridiculous because we're talking about the spice girls um you know it sort of brings back memories of me being younger listening to this track and i remember the first time i just had it on like mini displayer and i just played it on repeat and I just, I think I was also at that age, you know, I was sort of starting to write music and I was learning a lot of music and I was really obsessed with harmony. And that track starts in and it's just has this really kind of breathy, airy quality to it. I was also learning classical guitar and this has like, was in the era of a classical nylon guitar solo, yeah. you know, when they were so popular you know, even in like Backstreet Boys always had a nylon classical guitar solo. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, it, it's strange, you know, there's, there are so many tracks out there, but I just remember this one and it, uh, you know, I was so young and, um, and it, you know, it's quite cinematic, I think as a song, 
in terms of if you were you could probably get like a core version of that song yeah you know or like you could play it in a string orchestra at you know and it I can completely reimagine that song and take it quite seriously i think it sounds crazy but i could imagine that sort of working yeah absolutely <laughs> and 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 those those sort of early years of your life like what where were they where did you grow up uh so i was uh, i grew up in staffordshire uh, I'm from a place called Litchfield, which is a city, and it's a very, very small city, um, just uh, sort of outside of Birmingham, near Tamworth, which is uh, maybe even more. Well, it's it's interesting because Litchfield is so small, and the only reason why it's a city is because it has a cathedral. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite well known, and uh, yeah, so I grew up. I was there for the first sort of eighteen years of my life before, you know, going to uni and. And coming down here to London, um, and all my family it was sort of Derbyshire and Nottingham, and the, yeah, this sort of specific time I remember listening to this song on repeat was on a journey back from visiting my cousins who were in Nottingham. It's like a forty-five minute journey. Just was like had the single on mini disc player. Uh, I was not, well, no, it wasn't a mini disc. It was sorry, discman. Uh, well, you had, uh, had to literally yeah. hold it level, otherwise it'd skip. Like you just have oh to... yeah totally <laughs> yeah yeah I remember that even happening and it was like the car went over a bump and it went and you'd hear it scraping <laughs> and uh, yeah and so um, it was just yeah it's it's funny like as I said it's sort of uh, thinking about these questions like first response and yeah first one that came to my mind and uh, but it is like it, I think it's just quite a lush track. And so, um, sort of growing up in in, in Staffordshire, um, home, like, what was um, was it was it a musical place? Um, it's well, you know, I went uh, to like the school that I went to was Litchfield Cathedral School, and there, you know, they had a choir and music was always around, and but music was very much always in my family, uh, so. Um, uh, I wouldn't have said that. I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I wouldn't have said Litchfield was a hub of music. No, outburst. but was there records but, on the um, home? Was was there instruments in the house growing oh, up? Oh yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. So you know, my so my dad, um, he plays guitar, and um, you know that sort of motivated me to t- to learn how to play guitar because I saw him always playing it. Sure. Um, my dad's dad. So my granddad, he played like seven instruments. And so, and he was an engineer as well. He used to work in radio and uh, just sort of fix things just for fun. Um, but yeah, he played like saxophone and guitar, a range of, I think he was, uh, you know, I didn't really know him that well, but um, I was told, yeah, he just would find instruments and learn how to play it. And then on my other side, my mom's mum, she played piano. And so it was always there and every Christmas or every sort of family gathering. Uh, like my sister learned to play flute and piano and my cousins were learning guitar and, uh, and cello. Like, you know, there's a lot of music going on and it was always like, uh, I'm the youngest out of, you know, uh, out of a lot and, uh, yeah, we'd always have like sort of little family concerts, you know, even if that was sort of me on the saxophone playing along to my heart or go on to a CD yeah. <laughs> doing a saxophone rendition. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and I, I remember actually, uh, you know, when 
after sort of, I guess, reception is what it is. And when you kind of start, I guess, proper school, I remember this, that you kind of write, you know, it's a time to sort of, you can learn an instrument. That's what age seven, I think, or six or seven. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'd love to play guitar and drums, you know, because at that age, everyone wants to be in a band. Yeah. And I sort of specifically, specifically remember my parents going, yeah, guitar, fine. Drums, yeah, yeah, maybe not drums. <laughs> and uh, I understand why, because they're very loud. But at, uh, but also, what is really funny is that so I started playing guitar first, and uh, then maybe a year or two later, uh, but it was classical guitar actually. It wasn't you know it wasn't sort of rock guitar or acoustic. So I was you know learning notation and finger picking, uh, and then. Um, then I was like, oh, I want to learn saxophone because my granddad plays saxophone and I learned on, I, I sort of inherited his original saxophone. It was like silver. And, uh, but for some reason, and I don't know. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What it is, but uh, I remember when I was, wanted to learn and the school was like, okay, that's great. First recorder. I'm like, why? Why do I have to learn recorder? It was like this rite of passage. I swear, like, you'll ask anyone, I can't play an instrument, but I did do a grade on recorder. It's yeah. like, I it, don't know why we had to do that. It's still Either the most that horrific or like group sound. violin sessions. I think known to man, the recorder. <laughs> it's like squealing recorders at my primary school. That noise will forever haunt me. Three blind mice being played all over the place. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That and and also group lessons of the violin at the a very younger age. I mean... I just never quite understood a group lesson at the violin and married that with beginner recorder. I mean, that's a band that I probably not want to go and see. Um, oh, yeah, and so, you know, it was like music was was kind of always there and 
we we had a clavinova in the house and you know I, the piano was the last instrument that i picked up and i was trying to sort of my sister played piano so it was there and i was trying to dabble with it and try to figure it out and trying to actually sort of write music before playing knowing how to play piano and it was a clavinova so you could um I remember you, you press a button and it have like a whole backing track where when you hit the root notes, it would change chords. Yeah. And then the upper half, you could choose an instrument out of the array uh, and then play like a melody. And so you could, and it had like four controls on it, like for bass and the mids and the trebles and all like uh, the kind of more melodic instruments or the percussion. And I remember like with floppy disk, making my own little mixes of writing stuff where it's just simply me just kind of moving the roots down and playing something, but then like changing the levels of going to hold the bass back and I'm going to bring the drums in. You know, I was like nine, eight, nine years old at this time. And, and then I sort of vaguely remember uh, thinking or asking my parents, could I learn to actually le play piano? I have proper lessons because I, I was having this desire to write music and um, you know, I had, guitar at the time and it's I, I wasn't really playing songs I mean, actually it's quite funny because I was learning classical guitar and every time I went to a party everyone's like oh yeah play Wonderwall I'm like oh, I, I, I don't know I, I can play you <laughs> classical gas and uh, <laughs> you know, Not it, now, it was like a different world <laughs> yeah 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 exactly <laughs> and, and it's even like what knee you know when you when you learn classical the guitar is always on your left knee yeah. whereas you see most people playing acoustics on songs always on the right knee a yeah. bit more casual and uh so strangely kind of playing more sort of poppy stuff and kind of really only happened in my second school yeah and i kind of because i didn't have a steel string i was on nylon yeah and you know it's not really the same unless you're playing Jose Gonzalez and at the time I didn't know who that was you know but that is also a beautiful vibe yeah. you know uh the, and um yeah so it was it was very sort of classical and and also strangely the saxophone learning baroque pieces on a saxophone yeah. I could never get my head around that I'm like why am I playing a baroque piece on the saxophone the saxophone like these two eras were so far apart <laughs> and uh but yeah yeah but you know it's it's it, it kind of absorbs you, it, you know, it kind of um, uh, makes you aware of all these yeah. different styles and, and and what can be done. So, yeah, <laughs> a long answer, but yes, no, no, music no, not was... at all, not at all. But, you know, throughout the answer, you alluded to school uh, several times. Um, so so let's let's ask about that. So for track three, um, tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school, please, Paul. So uh, I'd have to say uh, it's a track by John Mayer. Uh, the brilliant John Mayer called Body is a Wonderland and in secondary school it was on his Room for Squares album and we just like all of us I think probably like when we were kind of toward our latter years of of secondary school just that album we were all listening to it and uh, that track there's a really beautiful lyric in Body is a Wonderland and it's like uh, I'll never let your head hit the bed without my hand behind it and it was like the way it kind of happens and but there you know um there's something kind of uh it's just a great like it's an unconventional chord sequence and just like his vocal is great and i mean the whole album is great but it was really sort of with me uh and a lot of us actually just listen to that track over and over again and so when it comes on now that gives an element of like you know, nostalgia yeah. of 
because I feel like your latter years of school, you know, you I feel you know you kind of go through school feeling like, well, I know I did, or you know, you're like, oh god, school, and it's like feel a bit arduous. But toward the latter end, you start, you know, you're kind of 16, 17, 18. Teachers are taking you more seriously, or you're becoming an adult, and you're really sort of, uh, I don't know, you really enjoying, and you're narrowing your subjects, and really kind of seeing where you're going to go and there's they're very happy memories and so every time this track comes on it always reminds me of those sort of latter years of school um did yeah <laughs> when you was at school was did you want to be a composer was that always a, a focus for you and and what and was that encouraged and supported yeah yeah so um you know i I was, uh, so when I went, before I went to school, I was sort of writing, trying to write songs, like soppy ballads on piano and stuff. And uh, I was writing a lot of songs um, in some bands. Uh, as a guy I used to write with, um, you know, we kind of wrote songs together, but we'd also write instrumental music. Um, and so, yeah, it was really, it was always there. And I, um, I kind of, uh, around sort of 15, 16 ish i'd already had like parents had a basement uh they lived in kind of the in this sort of the house is kind of slightly scandinavian in a way but they have this basement and that was where my studio would be even at that age and i had this 10 track recorder where you could just sort of bounce down and i remember doing my gcse's and basically sort of recording it all down there tracking myself up uh, rather than it providing at the time you have to do a Sibelius file and I was just really into it and just wanted to make my own music and uh even then I I was obsessed with film music and uh it was kind of um something I wanted to do and I was writing in the instrumental music that I was writing you know I wasn't at that time writing it to any picture this uh particularly but it sort of felt like film music like it because it wasn't classical it was sort of more modern than that um and uh you know, it's one of those things where, of course, at that age, like I loved writing music, and I just thought, how how is that going to be possible? And I was thinking, oh, I can't do that. And then my parents were like, Wow, like even writing piano pieces. My parents were like, Wow, it sounds really filmic, you know. And um, and you know, film was very much uh, a part of my life. So my dad is a director of photographer, and so at a very young age, he's working on these dramas, and I was going along. Um, uh to on set you know not at that time really realizing you know the sort of gravity or gravitas of that and learning or just be, seeing how things kind of go sure. and so cinematography uh it's always that marriage and, and seeing music to picture and and so it was kind of um uh yeah it was really encouraged and um even um I just sort of loved music lessons. <laughs> it was like, the, I just loved doing composition and it was uh, just love to escape. And uh, it was kind of an outlet. And because I was learning saxophone as well, and I was in a jazz band. And obviously, with that, if jazz, it's a lot of improvisation. And mm. so that again is just another form of composition, but happening in the moment. Sure. And so, um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it, it was always, um, yeah, it was always encouraged. And uh, yeah. Um, and it, you know, sort of morphed as I kind of grew older and definitely 
when I got to uni, when you suddenly meet like-minded people, because I like, I, I, there was only, I think four people in my A-level music class. And so it's kind of a, an hour field. And then suddenly you find more people that want to write music with a film. And then it becomes like, oh, maybe I can do this. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, and and then at uni, you just kind of keep pushing and, and find out a way to do that. I want to pick up on that journey uh, in, in a moment. But um, but I'm, I'm feeling that we're starting to kind of um, teeter into talking about really interesting, credible music. So just to kind of get the balance right, if we talk about the first song you remember buying from a record store now, we should... <laughs> <laughs> we should be able to restore a little bit of balance. <laughs> oh yeah, I know, I know. Uh, yeah, it's so funny. Um, and I'm gonna add. This was on cassette. So excited! I've got like it's like I think it was like one pound ninety nine or two pounds ninety nine. First cassette, first record. Gina G, ooh, just a little bit. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and it's got like. Yeah, I can't. It's funny because I, uh, yeah, I remember getting this record and uh, putting it on. And I had to like go, like, when I was thinking of this, and I was like, I'm going to listen to this track again because I'd not probably heard it for like, I don't know, 20 years or something. Um, Yeah, that was my first record. It's funny. I'm sure you probably like, it's so embarrassing because you probably, you know, interview people who were born in the 70s and they've got really cool answers like Paul, you know really no. No no, no 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 do you know what this is the question <laughs> that always delivers because you know if you've got one of the Foo Fighters on it or whoever it is they will then just still go oh yeah god yeah I bought this and it's like everybody <laughs> knows this is a safe space to 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 announce your first record because I don't subscribe to that thing that there's any 10-year-olds that are, are listening to obscure indie records, you know, these, this, yeah. you know, it's just not happening. Come on. No. Our first records no. are meant to be shit. Like, and, uh, <laughs> and they're I, meant I mean... to be pure bubblegum pop yeah. records that are just totally. earworms that, 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 that you love. So don't worry, mate, you're in a safe space. <laughs> it's funny. But, you know, it's like, you know, you've got to give it to that record. It's pretty catchy, you know. Really Hooky. catchy. You know, and it's like, I mean, that is the beauty of pop records. And, you know, it is actually a, it, I remember when I was younger, uh, writing music, trying to, you know, you go through that sort of, uh, I don't know, anti-conformist sort of like period where like, oh, I'm going to write like extended like rounds of 16 chord sequences and make it really complicated something and come across some magical sequence that no one has ever used and then trying to write something that's hooky along to that it's just it's like near impossible and then you kind of go back and even now it's like i'll be listening to like some pop records like wow that's really good and it's really hard to nail like that simplicity you know 100%. like taking like mr Brightside, you know what a tune that is the melody really doesn't deviate very much mm. but it's just like everything surrounds that it's like the the key i think you know it's it's hard to to sort of do a pop song well mm. and uh so they, they yeah they definitely mustn't be sort of many less credit of anything because they are like you know superb and but i think you know it's uh yeah so it's funny especially at that age it's sort of um to write to write the perfect pop song is is 
one of them obviously it's the it's the, the one of the hardest things to do in the world and there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people that have spent forever and a day trying to to, to do that and it's I had I had the killers on the podcast and and uh, the guitarist that that wrote that and uh, and I asked him what his favorite intro was and I don't know what he said but I was like dude you wrote the intro to Mr. Brightside. Yeah, but you he said his own tune. You should literally be banging on about yourself right now, you know, because yeah. you, you, wherever you're at, a festival or a family party or a nightclub, whatever genre is being played, yeah, you hear that guitar lick at the beginning, shit's going to go totally. off. Because it's, yeah. it's just perfect. And uh, yeah. yeah, wonderful. Well, I want to pick back up on your journey now. And what I'm interested in is, is somebody that that sort of in, in the 90s pursued the route of indie band and recording demos and, you know, traipsing around Camden trying to find, you know, different labels and, and, and pushing a demo in their hands and things like that. Has the, the, the route to... To establishing establishing yourself in the world of film scores and, and composition, like how, how how does that? Because I imagine it's a very different way of, of of doing it than than going out and playing to two men and a dog on a Wednesday night, at, you know, the back room of a pub in Camden. It's uh, you know, so 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 give me a bit more of an insight <laughs> into how how you start to sort of move through the ranks to ultimately find yourself scoring the most beautiful thing that's on television at the moment and uh oh thank you <laughs> and, uh, and 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 so yeah give, give me a little bit of an insight into sort of how you progress and, and establish yourself in in that arena yeah uh you know like there isn't a right way uh you know everyone has their own journey um i you know i think like for me um it's uh like obviously i started off and i thought i think when i uh, like i could get into like post-production houses and i was handing my cv around and then i soon realized that is not the best way to do it because then i'd end up just being stuck in a post-production house and um and like i i didn't really know the best way but at uni um i my tutor he was uh telling me you know he knew that i wanted to write music for film and take it seriously as a career and he told me about a composer who at the time was scoring stardust and i was like wow yeah I, I, and uh uh he tutored him 10 years before and he he passed on details and we we kind of connected a little bit while i was at uni but i was still studying so you know nothing really happened and then i suddenly then realized that right that's how i need to get an in somehow you know work underneath someone uh if that sort of thing existed and now that i feel is like the best path to kind of get in to sort of um it's not everyone's route uh but for me that was kind of how it happened and um but it didn't happen like overnight you know that i was still at uni and then after graduating it's like a year by uh and then i was kind of going back to other routes by trying to find short films like there was a website called mandy.com and people just post looking for composers you know these are like free things and just to sort of try and gain that experience make friends within the industry because sure. you're you're sort of you know 21 years old other make meet 
uh, trying to meet other directors that were in the same position as me, but as a director. So everyone's really trying to do make something of themselves, and uh, and I I found it quite useful actually, kind of making a few mistakes in terms of like learning how to sort of write music to a picture and adhere to those things. But really, for me, it happened when um, uh, then like a year later, I saw uh, and he who turned out to be my mentor, a, a composer called Ilana Scary, and he came up to Leeds and so I studied in Leeds and uh he uh came up and he was doing a talk and I was like right I need to stay and I know that everyone's going to be doing the same as soon as this talk ends everyone's going to be on him like a moth to a flame and I was like right I'm going to try muscle my way to the front of this crowd and be like hey do you remember me we spoke like a year and a half ago over email and he was like yeah I do actually um and so uh, I think he put a note on his, like a reminder and, uh, to kind of contact me. And then he sort of walked off and everyone else was like, oh, what? <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, you know, that just kind of comes with being determined of just like, right, this has got an objective. And I, you know, I was, I had no money really at this time, you know, and I wasn't living in Leeds, I was living in Litchfield. So just coming up specifically for this with a, a goal in mind um and then yeah like a month or so later getting a call um saying oh when are you, are you when are you moving down to london you know what's your plan and i was just like look you know whenever the opportunity presents itself uh and so he called me on a saturday night and i uh i was like okay just give me give me five minutes and so then i called up uh my best mates who i studied with who his family home was in london and he said to me you know if anything happens if you need somewhere to stay I think he was talking on the behalf of his parents. <laughs> if you need to crash on the sofa, just let me know. And so I was like, right, I'm going to use that. I'm going to call him. And I said, I got this phone call. I was like, yeah, sure. And so the Monday morning, literally like less than 48 hours later, uh, just took a suitcase, came down to London. Uh, I think I went straight to the studio where they were working at. And uh, I was working on Kick-Ass and Coriolanus at the time. So me being like 22 years old, coming in, seeing like these big movies uh, and the process going on, I was a bit like, yeah, this is where I need to be. Uh, And, um, you know, like, so I just started off basically being a runner and it was just travel expenses paid at the time because, you know, there was no like interview process particularly sure. it was just uh you know you kind of are presented those opportunities and then it's like okay i'll f- find moments where i can show what i can do and then you gradually get given more responsibility and so for me i just was always making sure that i never left i waited till either and like he would often be the last one to leave and so like, i can't go before that i have to just try to always be around because i got nowhere to be yeah. i had no money i didn't know anyone in london what's the point of me going home got nothing else to do um and so yeah and i just kind of learned under there's a lot of work going in there and i was also working and and learning like production uh uh and um sort of recording techniques um because Elon worked with the score producer called Steve McLaughlin, who you know produced the scores for Heat and um, worked a lot with Michael Kamen and Deeper Weapons and like huge movies. And so you've kind of got all this talent and learning, sort of te- you know, like learning kind of 
firsthand whilst also sort of being at the beginning yeah. of flying the wall and doing all that stuff and so you know that's kind of how i think a lot uh, i know a lot of um composers now have sort of taken that route but then yeah. there's obviously people doing the artist route where the sort of as you said you know may even be playing to two people you know yeah. um their own instrumental music and obviously now there's a wealth of instrumental music and sort of piano uh instrumental music and quite filmic music and uh people making their own records um and even like you know artists like ben frost who make really cool like electronic modern music but then but then go and score something like dark you know where the two worlds are colliding um so you know like my method it's there's no right way it's yeah. but that's how it happened for me anyway okay well let's we'll we'll, we'll, we'll jump back on that after uh the next track so um for this uh track which is number five i'm gonna ask you to tell me the song that soundtrack your years clubbing it uh yeah great tune insomnia by faithless i mean as soon as you hear that the synth riff that comes up on that it's just like yeah like everyone knows even actually you could probably just hear the chime the like the, the sort of the clock chime and everyone knows what tune is coming yeah. up and it's it is really cinematic as well you know euphoric, it has this sort it? of it is euphoric yeah and it's you know especially when the the um Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't know, join the verses. You're just kind of lost in it. And it's uh it's just a great track. And it was always <laughs> so to be I remembering back to university and clubbing. And as soon as this track came on, <laughs> it was like holding a C with their hand going chewed. <laughs> it's just like, you know, and it, you know, it brings like a lot of fun memories, but it is just it's euphoric, it's cinematic, it's epic. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean when when you was talking about uh, you know artists that and 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 for me for somebody that comes from a more sort of I guess traditional band um, approach to the the industry um, seeing the sort of crossover in artists um, I guess like Cigaros that that yeah that, that were you know playing live gigs as as a yeah, band totally, as such yeah. but then the music being used and, and scored on wildlife documentaries and all sorts and. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, and I guess with bands and and stuff like that. When I w w was reading um, some stuff about you, you've ended up working 
um, with multiple um, Indian rock bands, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's sort of, um, it's it's happened a lot. And uh, sort of, uh, I feel like it's when it happens the first time, then suddenly, it, if it happens again, then it's, it, it starts to become a sort of, not a signature, but like a trait that people know that you can do. And it's, it's like where you're wearing your producer hat a little bit. Um, and, you know, I love it. And I love collaborating and, and with different people uh, musically because you can sort of, um, especially in the film world, it can be quite a solitary sort of life. You're in your studio writing music and you have your own set way of doing it. But working with all these different artists and bands, bringing their know-how and the way they do things to the table, it's like, uh, wow, it, it sort of opens up your mind. And, and um, you know, and it kind of, to be honest, a lot of it started through, when I was working with Ilan and Steve and uh, Steve McLaughlin, he'd worked, he, you know, he, he's a producer. And so there, there was a film called London Boulevard where Serge Fukasabian came in and, you know, that was his first sort of film project, but I was assisting and working with them and understanding how to, to form that dialogue and, I guess, how to get the best out of someone in that situation. The same goes for Badger on Boy. You know, and uh, and it's it's like a different. There's a different sort of I don't know. There's a different language sometimes, and sometimes you just find out the most interesting way of doing something that they you know creating a sound or was purely they did this method because they it was what they had to hand you know and it's like wow yeah totally that genius and then it's sort of you know these relationships kind of you get introduced to someone else. And so I was working with Guy Garvey and uh, on um, a variety of projects and Peter Jobson. And then you, you know, you became friends and, and you, the end product is very different from if, if you were sort of left your own devices or if I was just doing it, or if the artist was just doing it by themselves, you know, yeah. you kind of two worlds come together. And so, you know, um, most recently collaborating with grime producer Swindle on Champion. Uh, that was a very, you know, different ex sort of world to what I was used to. Um, you know, probably the furthest musically away from where I've ever kind of worked in. Uh, How was that? And it, it was, it was, uh, I was super nervous at the beginning because I just thought, how is this going to work? And, you know, and then I just, had a step back and just thought, you know, I'm just going to do the same thing I normally do. And, you know, <clears throat> we just sat down right, <clears throat> right at the beginning when we were working, got to know each other. And, you know, <clears throat> we realized that we were basically born sort of two weeks apart and we were telling our sort of stories of growing up and we we're almost living in this parallel sort of world. He made his basement, making grime beats, trying to flog CDs, me, writing singer-songwriter tunes, trying to vlog CDs to my mates, you know, doing the same thing, but in two very different worlds. And uh, and sort of the kind of understanding that happens there. And, you know, and you sort of, the, I think the most difficult thing is both opening up and uh, just allowing both styles to infuse. Yeah. And so on that project, it, it was kind of really interesting because we, we were sort of talking how we feel like we created this 
subgenre of cinematic grime and R&B, you know, like instrumental. Yeah. With you know, and, and where there's not really a lot of that around, and sort of uh, being kind of bringing what I know as score and playing to the scene, but how to sort of bring his background and make those two worlds collide. So it was really interesting, and even down to sort of like uh, what musicians are using. You know, like it really needed to have the swindle sound and so it's like, okay yeah well you have to use the musicians that you always use because um you know that's part of it and certain production techniques and so it's um uh yeah and it was it was like a i learned so much and in that world and it's like when you start to know the ingredients and understand that and it it, it yeah opens up your mind i think um but yeah so it was great uh, I was nervous at the beginning, but then it was, it, yeah. And now, you know, and then you make great friends as well. And so, you know, we're, we're, that's what music does. You know, you sort of, you kind of, when you're creating in that environment and you're vibing off each other and you're buzzing and it's, you know, it's, it's sort of like greatest friendships can, can sort of happen in those yeah. moments. Fantastic. I'm going to um, take you home for track six and ask you to tell me the favourite song from an artist from your home county, please. Yeah, so uh, I had to do some research on this because I was trying to find who was from Staffordshire. And uh, hopefully this counts, but uh, Robert Plant was from Staffordshire and he obviously part of Led Zeppelin. So I thought, oh, Immigrant Song, that's a great tune, yeah. you know. Uh, again, great intro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Huge. you know, and... Uh, feel like I kind of keep picking really cinematic style tracks because I think they used that on the opening of the girl with a drag that movie where they made uh, the girl with drag tattoo uh I think they may have even hyped it up a bit but um it's just like that rhythm is just I don't know yeah everything about it dun, 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 you know it's this driving feeling yeah. and it's uh it thunders a lot as well it? no it does and it is it's kind of slightly psychedelic and slightly uh um alluring in a way yeah especially with that vocal and, and a bit haunting as well absolutely well before we move on to uh your final track um i want you to tell me a little bit um about about earth and because for for anybody that's listening to this that hasn't watched it yet um it's it's spectacular absolutely spectacular um and the work that you've done on it um is in my opinion a very important part of that and a key part of that and it 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 tracks it beautifully um tell me a little bit about how that how that come about so um <clears throat> it was one of these projects that you know like yeah, I, to be honest it was a dream project and it um you know i was always i've always been interested in shows like the planets and universe and knowing like finding out how we came to be you know those bigger questions and uh one 2019 december this email pops up in my inbox and this rarely happens in this way from bbc studios and, and you know i've done previous work with bbc studios um trying being an example which is very different from earth you know and uh but it pops up say hey are you interested in working on this project it's called earth and they sent me the um 
like a little document explaining what it's going to be. The front page is just a picture of our Earth, entitled Earth. And I thought, I just looked at that and thought, yeah, that, I, I don't need to read anymore. This looks amazing. And um, just knowing their previous work and, uh, and it was just sort of like, um, uh, yeah, like I, I, I knew that it was going to have this expanse and I, and they'd had all the scripts from all the episodes. They, I think at that time they had filmed the first episode, you know, this process is such a long process and it, you know, like two and a half years or so. And I was on it for about 18 or 19 months. And, um, and so it came through and I obviously, you know, had a, uh, at the beginning, I had a phone call with the showrunner, and we talked about ideas of what I think the score could be. Um, you know, we talked very heavily the fact that uh, a show like this is there's a huge amount of visual effects that are artificially recreated, creating these other worlds um, that are you know unknown to us, places that you know we we would never. You know, we we weren't there. We don't know what it sounds like, and so it was important for me to try to somehow combine. Obviously, you're going to have these huge orchestral sweeping uh, sort of tropes that these shows need, and um, like an, and take you on this emotive journey uh, with all these sort of tensions and releases that occur. But then, I really wanted to bring as many sounds from our Earth as possible by sort of having the combination of these found sounds and making otherworldly sounds from everyday things, um, making a sort of backing textures. So you've got the orchestra and, but then up on that, you've got this whole other world going on and, um, you know, and it, it, everything needed to be real. And even with the orchestra, you know, it was, um, you know, it's going to be hugely symphonic and that, that needed to be live and all these things to give the score a grounding where, you know, just to sort of give a realism to obviously you're looking at these, the effects. So how can we create a, a sort of human or an, a, a sort of realness to it? Um, and that was kind of uh, the concept, I guess. And uh, I think having all these different, time periods you've got sort of snowball uh, when the earth was trapped in snow you've got green when the plants and soil was being created inferno all these different things and i also thought it was going to be um you know i wanted to give each episode a unique tone in terms of like for example in green uh with a lot of amongst all the sort of quite pastoral music there i sort of tracked a lot of uh, just a cello creating these wo kind of woody organic textures on there just to kind of make it feel a little bit more organic um and then for like snowball you've a lot of it shot in iceland give everything this icy sort of glass-like feeling of the worldly vocals and metallic scraping noise you know things again just to sort of transport from an audio auditory point of view the, the viewer to that place and and with each episode try to do that but whilst also having uh sort of strong melodic material and a sort of central theme that i would call 
like the the earth theme yeah. um that kind of comes back but in these different states or i mean implying it uh either just using the harmony um and it's sort of yeah i mean it's such a a grand show and uh you know um kind of emo- I, you know again these things have helped to sort of make feel things feel more immersive as well you Massively. know um and it's uh and, and like i was always um you know i think our earth is such a wonderful thing and like how i wanted the music to also kind of give this sense of awe and wonder and there's certain things by you know without getting too technical but in the harmony using quite sort of classical-esque progressions but then just flipping that on its head with this whole modern onset of you know like otherworldly sounds and vocals and electric guitars i thought they will go the, the guitars were always going to represent lava yeah volcanoes you know metal guitars and and distorted sounds morphed and you know combining all these things giving everything this whole like you know i don't know yeah just giving it like this sort of cohesive sound of this otherworldly place um it yeah I mean, but yeah, and so all these ideas floating about, it, it just was, um, yeah, it ended up just being a joy to work on and uh, a lot of work. <laughs> it was, it, well, uh, that, that, was, yeah. that was incredible work because the, 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 the show is absolutely fantastic. And for those that um, haven't seen it yet, head, head over to the BBC iPlayer and, uh, and I'm, I'm sure it'll be in the, uh, the, the ones to watch because it's, uh, it's a huge show and it's, uh, it's an incredible show. And I urge you all to go and go and explore it. Um, final track, and I'm going to ask you now, please, Paul, to tell me um, a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to go and listen to. So yeah, uh, I came across this song um, kind of recently, and it was actually whilst working on Earth. And it's a very difficult question, this because. Like so many songs, like how to find something that not many people have heard, um, and, and I think this is relatively unknown, and it's quite cinematic. It's a song called "Looks," and it's by a guy called Volk, Greg Lerman, and it, you know, the front half of it is basically like a score track, mm-hmm. and then this vocal comes in that you're not expecting, and it, it's kind of almost in that Woodkid sort of vibe, you know, cinematic an epic and not not really pop or anything and um and uh when i heard it i thought wow i love the 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 sort of synergy and the the fact you've combined this hugely cinematic intro and then going into a song in a way that like a lot of modern trailer music is doing but this is like just existing as its own thing um you know, and uh, yeah, and I just think it's a really cool track. It's fantastic, <laughs> and, uh, absolutely fantastic. The vocals are beautiful as well. I don't know who that is, um, yeah, but it's 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 a it's a beautiful track. And I mean, make it easy, Paul, for people to go and and check that out because we put together a little Spotify playlist um, with that on it, and and all of the tracks that um, we've spoken about today. Um, so as we start to sort of wind the the the, the episode down. Um, post Earth, 
I mean, that's a strange way to put it, I guess. Um, Post-Earth. Uh, <laughs> Post-Earth. <laughs> when, when you're done with Earth, um, uh, what's, what's, what's coming up? What's next, mate? Um, so I am just finishing two projects, actually, at the moment, um, and one of which is a sequel. I did the first one, and it is the sequel to Your Christmas or Mine uh, on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Uh, first movie came out last Christmas, so I've just literally yesterday finished the mixing we recorded that um and then now just also finishing a project called fight or flight which is uh like an american action comedy starring josh hartnett um very different from your christmas or mine and uh pretty fun you know and uh then um i'm about to begin on season four of apple tv's trying which is the sort of lovely sort of bittersweet family drama um that yeah you know it kind of keeps on going but it's just so heartfelt and warming Uh, the characters are so endearing you just uh yeah almost writes itself fantastic so yeah um paul if people want to keep up to speed with everything that you're doing and 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 your output where's the best place to to start to speed on, on everything you're doing uh, so I have a website, uh, it's just literally www.paulsaunderson.com. Um, obviously I have a Spotify page where I try to release as much music as I can. And, um, you know, I have the music of earth, our soundtracks coming out, uh, it's going to be August 22nd, uh, which will also have the, this song that wrote the SIPO. Um, so yeah, that's coming out and, uh, yeah, I think those are probably the best two places, to be honest. And I'm on Instagram as well, so I always try to... I tend to post more on Instagram. Oh, there's so many social medias out there. It's, I find it very difficult to keep up on posting in all the different places. Sure. Like I'm not on TikTok. I thought maybe I should be, but yeah. Instagram is a, a good place, and that's just my name, Paul Saunderson. Wonderful. Uh, well, we'll yeah. tag you in it when this episode comes out, so if people aren't following you already, then they can go and do so. Um Great. Paul, it's been a real delight talking records with you. Um, thank you so much for your time today, mate. It's, it's been lovely. Oh, you're welcome. No, thank you for having me on it. So, yeah, it's been really fun. Absolute pleasure. I'm going to press stop. Don't go anywhere. There you go. Oh, that was a lovely chat. Um, Paul was such a, uh, a a top fella, and we, we had a big old chat afterwards, and we was talking... Um, we talked a bit of Zimmer, um, and uh, and and we talked we, we we talked some of our favourite scores, and and obviously we we, we mentioned Ludovico and and um, this is England, uh, the the scoring of that, and yeah, it was just it was just they're always the good ones when you when you press stop at the end and and you just stick about and and just keep chatting and. Uh, yeah, so I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, like I say, um, I've not really been sort of super heavy on the on the composers uh, on, on previous episodes, but it's such an interesting, you know, road to to, to that side of, of 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 you know of the music industry. So it was lovely to kind of pick his brains, um, and then to find out about the you know the, the work that he's done with so many indie bands. And he was humble there as well. There's some much much bigger names in there. Go and check out his. Uh, his uh, his story on his website and on, on on Wikipedia. He's he's worked with some huge huge acts, and 
yeah, he was just being uh, a little bit humble there. Um, anyway, thanks ever so much for listening. Go check out that back catalogue now. Um, there's there's hundreds and hundreds of episodes all to be listened to for free. And if you enjoyed that and you'd like to support the podcast, um, you can just click on the show notes. There's a thing called Buy Me A Coffee and you can just click that and, and buy me a coffee. Um, or you can head over and pay your 70p and become a Patreon and, and support the podcast uh, that way and get access to loads of other fun stuff. Um, like I said at the beginning, off the beat and track podcast.com. I'm back next time. In the meantime, be nice to each other. Thanks again for listening. Love you. Bye bye.